Before we get into the series, I, I want to just uh, welcome two new people into our church family. They're not here today, but uh, I'll tell you their names. They are Rachel Mao and Miles uh, Baskerville. Uh, two little babies born to two, uh, two families in our congregation. So Tom and Thea had their little baby Miles earlier this week and Ping and Beck had their little baby Rachel earlier this week. So we praise God and we're so joyful to have two new people join our family. So um, it, you might want to you know, send a little message to uh, those uh, families just to say that um, you, know, you might want to pray for them, encourage them, uh, support them because having a new baby is tough. But there's nothing better. It's such a great joy. So we're thankful to God for that. Now, friends, as we uh, think about this question um, that we talked about before, uh, what do you need? I wonder, I wonder what you uh, all talked about before. Or what, what do your friends say is their biggest need? It's a very broad question when you ask that question, what do you need? You can answer it in a lot of different ways. For some of you, when I ask you the question, what do you need? Uh, you're sitting there thinking, I need to clean the house. Is that, is that you? Who's that? I, I know there's... A, yeah, I can see. Yep, yep. I need to clean the house. Or you might be thinking, I need to mow the lawn. You know, that thing's overgrown. There's a jungle out there. Or you might be thinking needs in a different sense. You're thinking, um, I actually need a new pair of shoes. Or I need that new iPhone, even though they're taking stuff away and it's more expensive. I still need it. I need it. Um, or you might be thinking needs in a... Completely different area. I actually need, I need a girlfriend. I need a boyfriend. That's what I really, really need at this time. Or maybe your need is just super baseline and you're here early on Sunday morning, you're thinking, I just need a coffee. Who's, is that some of you guys here? Yeah, I need a coffee. Yep. Your hands up for that. Needs. Needs are a huge thing. We, we all, we're human. We have needs that need to be met. Um, but how do you define a need? Here's, here's how the Oxford Dictionary defines need. It's when you require something because it's essential or very important rather than just desirable. All right? You require something because it's essential or very important rather than just desirable. And I don't know if you've seen this before. It's the Maslow hierarchy of needs. So it's a psychological sort of framework uh, by a psychologist called Maslow who uh, actually established some needs that humans have. These are needs that we, ne that we need to function, to be healthy. And it starts with those basic needs. You can see there those um, things like food and water and shelter and safety. It moves up to those psychological needs, relationships, friends, feeling of accomplishment. And those right at the very top say those needs of self-fulfillment, meaning, purpose, living for something bigger. These are the sort of things that we as humans actually need to thrive, to be healthy. So I wonder if I ask you, are, are you thriving as a human? Are your needs being met today? Now, we look to meet our needs of all of these things um, in different ways, in different areas of life. But let me tell you something, and this shouldn't be any surprise to you as, I, as we go through the book of Mark, that Jesus Christ is the one that meets your biggest needs, your deepest needs, your most significant needs in every way possible. And in today's message, we're going to look at three things, that Jesus provides satisfaction, Jesus provides security, and that Jesus is the good shepherd. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about why we need a good shepherd. That's where we're going to draw things all together. Now, friends, it's just a little bit of context. Um, to, so uh, our friend Ben Ho, Pastor Ben Ho, came and talked to us about uh, suffering last week. But before 
The week before that, we were in Mark 5, where we saw Jesus healing. If you remember, there was a woman bleeding for 12 years on the verge of death, and he healed her. And then he did something even more amazing, that there was a little girl who actually died, and Jesus brought her back to life, and Jesus overcame death. That's what we saw in Mark 5. He's the one with power to overcome death. And we saw people responding to Jesus, and their response was one of faith. They trusted that Jesus was the one able to do these things, that he had the power to do these things, that he was the one who could overcome death. But as we enter chapter 6, and this is before our reading today, what we see is that people are responding to Jesus very differently. Instead of faith, people, he, Jesus goes back to his hometown, and people reject him. They, think, they say, who is this guy? And then, there's a, um, and then we read a story of a guy called Herod, who's a corrupt Jewish ruler. And he definitely doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. And there's lots of opposition to Jesus. But as this goes on, the mission continues. And Jesus commissions the 12 apostles and sends them out to keep preaching the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus came, to preach the kingdom of God. And as we pick up the narrative today, what's actually happened is that... Um, we, we see the disciples coming back. And this is our first point. Jesus provides satisfaction. This is the first thing that we're going to learn here. Jesus provides satisfaction. And what, what's happening in the narrative is that the, the, the 12 apostles have gone out. They come back. They're really excited. They say, Jesus, you should have seen all the things we were teaching, all the things we were doing. Check, check out all the people following us. And Jesus says to them, hey, guys, let's have a break. Let's have a break. Let's, let's go rest Somewhere. These are the words that he uses. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, um, Come away. Let's go rest. You guys have been busy. But guess what? The crowds, these massive crowds following Jesus, they find out where this desolate place is, where this remote place is. And they actually find that out, and they run ahead, and they're waiting for him there. And this crowd, like crazed paparazzi, are just waiting for Jesus as he comes with his disciples to this remote place. And Jesus has every right to be upset at this point. He wants to take his disciples away for a bit of R&R, a bit of rest, because they've been busy, they're human, they need to rest. This is a point, uh, one of the points brought out here. Even Jesus Christ himself needs a bit of rest, he's human. But there's huge crowds there, and they, they're everywhere. Jesus could be frustrated, but look what happens. He actually says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Instead of frustration and being upset at these crowds that just won't leave him alone, he just looks at them and he has great compassion. He has great compassion on them. And friends, even in this little intro to this narrative, we're going to bring out two things here, and two uh, things that you might have missed, uh, but are really important because it's the Old Testament background to this story. Um, because um, if, the first thing is this. If, if you have your NIV translation, when uh, we looked at this verse um, in Mark 6.31, your, your translation might say something like, come away, Jesus said, let's go away to a quiet place. I've used the ESV because it brings out uh, the word a little bit better from the original. Uh, a desolate place. Now, Jesus isn't just saying, hey guys, let's go somewhere quiet. Let's go to a, let's go to a library. Let's just chill out where there's no noise at all. He's, he's saying, let's go to a desolate place. We need to rest. All right? A desolate place. He's saying, let's go to the wilderness place. And what he's saying is, we need to go rest in the wilderness. 
And this is not a new idea, because all throughout the Bible, this theme of rest in the wilderness is part of God's promise, part of God's plan. Ever since the Old Testament, where um, the, the book of Exodus, where God actually redeems his people, brings them out of Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, and the goal is rest in the promised land. Rest in the wilderness. And then uh, the people did get there, but it was very temporary. They got kicked out after a while because of their sin. And ever since then, God's people have been waiting for this rest in the wilderness. When will we have this long-lasting, satisfying rest? And Jesus comes and he says, I am the one that will give you rest in the wilderness. I'm taking you to rest in the wilderness. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this idea of Jesus as a shepherd. Another Old Testament theme we need to pick up here. Mark 6.34. When Jesus landed so a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. And in the prophet, there's an Old Testament prophet called Ezekiel. He actually writes about a time where Israel, God's people, have no shepherd. And this is what it's like. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. See, this is a time when there is no shepherd. You see what the situation is? It's danger. It's danger. They're lost. The sheep are lost. They're scattered. They're food for the wild animals. With no shepherd, the people are in great danger. But Jesus comes and he says something. He's he's making a statement here, or at least the gospel writer Mark really wants us to see this, that he is the shepherd that will come over the people. Later on in the book of Ezekiel, God promises, I will appoint a shepherd over my people and he will care for my sheep. And as Jesus comes into the picture, Mark, the gospel writer, is saying, here is the shepherd. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the one that provides rest in the wilderness. He is the one who is the good shepherd who will care for his sheep forever. Forever. Now, we're going to talk much more about the shepherd language. That's where I want to land at the end of the sermon. So we'll move on now. Um, Keep those two themes in mind. We're going to keep looking at this narrative. And we're going to go on talking about a ridiculous miracle. Now, what actually happens is these people, they come... Uh, They run ahead to see Jesus, so there's a huge crowd waiting for them. So Jesus begins to teach them. And as the day grows grows later, the disciples say to him, Jesus, is getting late. Uh, These people need food. Send them away to the nearby towns. There's nothing here. This is whoop-whoop. There's there's no, no food here. They need something. But Jesus turns to them and actually says, well, you give them something. And the disciples, they, they sort of have a little laugh to themselves, and they think, Jesus, have you seen how many people there are here? There's 5,000 men here, and doesn't even specify the women and children. So it could have easily been doubled that amount. 5,000 men plus others. Um, it will take more than half a year's wages to feed these people. Do you expect us to pay for that? Now, I don't know how to adjust for inflation or whatnot, but they're, they're, prop- they're sort of saying, it will take $30,000 to feed all these people. You, you want us to cough that? We're fishermen, Jesus. What do you expect? And Jesus actually says to them, he goes, well, go and see what there is. Go and have a look. And they come back, and what they've got is uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. For any of you who's grown up in church, uh, you would know the Sunday school story, right? Five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And the mass doesn't really add up, does it? There's 5,000 over people, and there's five loaves of bread and two fish. But what Jesus does is he takes the food, and he starts breaking it up, and he hands it out to disciples, and they start handing it out. And what should have been finished in about, you know, two minutes or so, because there's so little food, just keeps going. And Jesus keeps breaking up the bread, and there's more, 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 and just keeps going, and going, and going, and going, and going, and going. The food just keeps coming, and it's in abundance. There's 12 baskets left over of food. The food just keeps coming, and everyone is fed. And look at this verse. They all ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this miracle, but it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. How is this possible? It's literally, it's impossible. Twelve... Five, over 5,000 people and five loaves of bread and two fish. I'm just trying to picture what happened. Did the fish just, did it just keep regenerating? You know, like that never-ending pack of Tim Tams, when you finish it, it just keeps coming? Like, how did it even work? I can't comprehend it. And I think that's the point. This is a ridiculous miracle. No one could do something like this except for God himself. This feeding of the crowd, this picture of abundance, this picture of satisfaction, here we see Jesus providing in a miraculous way, a powerful way, and he provides for the needs of the people, and he provides for their physical needs, their hunger. But there's something bigger here, isn't there? There's, this is a metaphor, this is a symbol of the fact that Jesus provides and satisfies bigger needs, spiritual needs. How? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but just keep that in mind. Jesus, the ones who provide satisfaction, not just physically, but also spiritually. The next thing we learn is that Jesus provides security. Because right after this miracle, what happens? You know, they're teaching the crowd and they're uh, tired. Uh, Jesus actually puts the disciples in a boat, sends them back across the Sea of Galilee and says, I'll dismiss the crowds, don't worry about it. And if you remember uh, two weeks ago, uh, or three weeks ago, sorry, the story, the last time the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, it didn't really go that well, did it? They almost died because of a storm. And the only reason they survived was that Jesus was there to stop the storm. But this time Jesus says, you guys go on ahead. They're probably a bit worried. And he sends them on a little boat across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes up to a mountain and he prays. He spends time with his father. There's a bit of quiet time amidst the busyness. So he's praying on the mountain. But then he looks down at the disciples and he actually sees that they're really struggling. There's a strong wind coming against them. Oh, Deja vu, round two, storm round two. So they're trying to row, but they can't get anywhere. So Jesus actually sees them, and he walks out. He walks out to them on the water. He's walking on water. Once again, we see Jesus, the one with power over nature, power over the elements, authority. He's walking on water with ease, of course, because he spoke them into existence. He's God. So he walks out towards them, and the disciples see him. And they see him and they're terrified. They're terrified. They're still scared. They're still in fear. They still haven't responded to Jesus rightly. He's already rebuked them because of their lack of faith. But they're terrified. They think Jesus is a ghost. But he comes to them and he says this. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
And Jesus steps into the boat, and the wind dies down. And the disciples are amazed, and they're still thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? But one thing is sure, that with Jesus, they are safe. He's providing security for them in the midst of danger, in the midst of their fear. He provides security like no other. Why? Because he is God. He is God. And there's two things in this text, once again, that really show us this. Two little things that show us this. And the first is this. You'll blink. If you blink, you'll miss them. But they're loaded with meaning. The first is in verse 46. Have a look at this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Now, I don't know if you've thought about that verse. Why is that verse even there? If Jesus sees his disciples in trouble on the lake, shouldn't he be going to them? Why, why does he want to pass by them? It sort of defeats the point. He's going to help them, right? Well, this language of passing by is actually language that is quite familiar to the Jewish people and quite familiar to us if we have read through our Old Testaments. Because it comes from a passage in the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, which when Moses, one of God's prophets, asked God. He says to God, God, can you show yourself to me? Can you just show me who you are? And this is what God says. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Do you see that language? To pass in front of you. The same language that Jesus describes Jesus to pass by them on the sea. What this is actually saying, it's pointing to the fact that this is God's presence amongst his people. God's presence amongst his people. The gospel writer Mark really wants, it labors this point, doesn't he? He keeps pointing it out to us that Jesus, the one who passes by his disciples, just like God, passes by Moses and reveals his glory, reveals who he is reveals his power. This is God's presence amongst his people. God in the flesh. And another verse backing up this idea. Remember verse 50. We'll go back to verse 50. Another little one, but loaded with meaning. Mark 60. I mean, Mark 60. This doesn't exist. Mark 6, verse 50, the second half. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, Jesus isn't just saying here, hey, fellas, it's me. Don't worry. That's not what he's saying here. This little verse, it is I, once again, is loaded with meaning. Because, once again, it reminds us of a verse. Moses, again, Exodus 3. All right? And look at what Moses says to God. Suppose I go to, you, to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And listen to God's reply. This is what God says is his name. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent, has sent me to you. I am. When God talks about himself, he just says, it is I. I am. This is God's self, self-identification, the divine self-identification of who he is. He doesn't need to say anything else. He just is. It is I. And the same thing with Jesus as he comes to his disciples. This is what he says. It is I. If you, um, in the original language, it's emphatic on the I. There's extra words there that don't need to be there, just emphasizing the fact that it is I. And when Jesus uses these words, 
He's identifying himself as the divine God of all creation. It is I, God in the flesh. And this is why the disciples should have no fear. They need not fear when Jesus is with them. Jesus provides ultimate security. Why? Because he's God. He is God. And with God with you, no one can be against you. And in this passage, we see Jesus providing, well, many needs, don't we? Uh, We see him providing food, which satisfies. We see him providing security and safety. But, you know, this isn't the thing that Jesus really is on about here, these physical needs. Uh, he's, this isn't the thing that really moves Jesus. This isn't the thing that's really on Jesus' heart. Because something actually moves him to tears, if you remember in the passage. Something really grabs his heart with compassion. And it's this. When Jesus landed, so a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What Jesus actually identifies as the biggest need of the people isn't the fact that they're hungry, isn't the fact that they're a little bit scared on the ocean, it's the fact that they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's what moves him. That's what grabs his heart. This is what Jesus cares about, and this is what Jesus says is the biggest need of the people and the biggest need for us as well. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Let me tell you something about shepherding and sheep. Any farmers here? Okay, good. I can say whatever I want. That's good. Um, shepherding, or shepherding in ancient Palestine, was very different from what it is nowadays. They, they didn't have sheep in a secure pen, with, which they could just leave by themselves, and it was all secure and safe. Um, sheep were free-roaming, and they, they couldn't fend for themselves, right? Or well, that's still the case. They can't fend for themselves, so they needed a shepherd. Shepherds were everything to sheep. All right? If sheep were, uh, needed food, if sheep needed water, if sheep were injured, they needed a shepherd to keep them alive, essentially. Sheep were completely dependent on the shepherd. And let me tell you something else about sheep. They're not intelligent creatures. All right? They're dumb. Sheep are dumb. All right? Let me tell you some things they do. They, they wander off. If they're left just for a little bit, they just get lost straight away, essentially. They just wander off everywhere, away from home, away from safety. Uh, they're so dumb that even if they see the entrance to their sheep pen just in front of them, they can't work out how to get home. Someone's got to actually take them there. They're dumb creatures. They're helpless without a shepherd. Right? That's sheep. And friends, that's us. That's me. That's you, that's all of us here. Completely helpless without a shepherd. Now, we're on this journey called life, right? And we're, on, we're, we're journeying along each and every day, all of us here. And we've all got different dreams, different aspirations, different goals. And we're going along. And what we're really trying to do in our lives is we're trying to meet our needs, aren't we? We're trying to meet our needs. So we're trying to find happiness. We're trying to find fulfillment. We're trying to find satisfaction. We're trying to find security. And we make this plan to actually get to these goals that will provide these things. And we think we're in control. We think we've got things all worked out. We know what we're, what we're doing, where we're going. That's our plan. We're going to meet our needs. But what we don't realize is that we're looking in all the wrong places. We're looking in all the wrong places. And actually what's happened is we've wandered off so far away from home 
that we're completely lost. We're so prone to wandering, aren't we? So prone to wandering off. And we're looking in all the wrong places. We're looking to meet our needs in all the wrong places. Let me give you an example. Let me talk to you about satisfaction. Where do we look for? Where do we look for satisfaction? Well, oftentimes, what do we, where we look is in material things. It's in the things of this world. Yeah? We try to satisfy ourselves with stuff. Right? And we think um, we, we find satisfaction in the things that we have. Whether it's um, you know, new clothes or a new phone or a new car or a new house or a new whatever your favorite thing is here, insert right there. You know, we, we try to find satisfaction in these things. And we buy these things even when we don't need them in the sense of we still have something else. Like we, we buy them even when we don't need them because they make us feel a little bit better, right? They make us feel that little bit happier, that little bit more satisfied, fulfilled. And the companies that sell you the stuff, they know that, right? That's why you're buying stuff that you don't need. They just keep selling it to you. That's why Apple has enslaved all of you myself included probably a little bit, but you buy things you don't need because it makes you happy, if only just for just that one little bit. And you think about this material, uh, finding satisfaction in material needs, that's what's actually driving us in our lives ever since we're little, yeah, for many of us, right? Why are you studying, all you high schoolers here, why are you studying so hard at school? It's because you're trying to get into a good course at uni. And when you're at uni, why are you studying so hard at uni to try and get that good GPA? It's because you need a good job when you get out. And all you workers, now you're in the workforce and you're working. And why are you working so many long hours in a job that maybe you don't even believe in that much or like that much? It's because you're trying to make money. You're trying to make money. And that's what society has sold to us as our biggest need. Have you ever heard this term before? Financial freedom. Have you heard that term before? That's the goal of Australian society, financial freedom. It's a goal of American society. It's a goal of Chinese. It's, it's a goal for everyone, isn't it? Financial freedom, right? That's what's fed to us through our society ever since we're little. That's what we're gunning for, to have enough money to be financially free, which essentially means you can buy whatever you want and not worry about it. Financial freedom, it means you can have as many toys as you want and then you'll be satisfied and then you'll be happy. That's what the world tells us, right? And we buy into it. We take that lie. And it's not just material things. We find satisfaction. Where else do we find satisfaction? We find it in our relationships. Don't we? I'm not, I'm not just talking about um, being married or whatnot. I'm talking about all our relationships around us. That's where we find our satisfaction. You know, it could be family, friends, romantic relations, work relations, whatever it is. That's where we find our satisfaction. Right? And we find our satisfaction in the things that people say to us, the affirmation that people give us, the respect that people give us. Yeah? We find affirmation from all those people around us. And if we don't get that affirmation or that respect or um, people looking at us in a certain way, then we feel worthless. We have no value. There is no satisfaction or no fulfillment whatsoever unless other people give it to me. Right? Which is why when you think about relationships, um, think about dating or having a partner or being married, whatever, 
Um, we think that's what will satisf satisfy us, right? We think if we have that one perfect person, then we will finally be satisfied, which is why we spend our whole lives running after that perfect person to satisfy us, to make us complete. And when you think about it like that, it's a little selfish, isn't it? Satisfaction in relationships. And sometimes when we can't find that sort of satisfaction in a committed relationship, we'll just settle for whatever human relationship we can get, any human connection we can get, which is where the problem in our society comes up, a problem in our midst, I'm sure, of just casual sexual relationships, engaging in intimate acts only that God only wants for marriage because, you know why? It satisfies, doesn't it? And I'm not just talking about that physical satisfaction that comes with a sexual act, but you know what really we're seeking in that? We're seeking intimacy. We're seeking, we want to be valued. We want to feel loved. And we'll find it wherever we can to satisfy us. And these things, worldly things, relationships, we seek satisfaction in, we try and find satisfaction in, and they're exactly the same things that we find security in as well, right? We find security in the fact that we have a healthy savings account. We find security in the fact that we've paid off our mortgage, that we've got a good investment portfolio, that we have a good group of friends around us, that we're well-liked amongst our peers, that we have a boyfriend or girlfriend that we can be intimate with, that we have a spouse that completes us. That's where we find our security as well as our satisfaction. If you're honest with yourself, is that the case? Now, at this point, I should correct myself because we, I've been saying we find satisfaction in these things, but that's a lie, isn't it? We try and find satisfaction in these things. We try and find security in these things. But what we're doing is we, we're, we're just seeking. We seek satisfaction. We seek security. But we don't find it in worldly things. We don't find it in relationships. Because these things, they don't last. They don't last at all. What happens when you lose your job and the money stops rolling in? What happens when the stock market crashes and everything you know, it disappears. What happens when that boyfriend or girlfriend who you've pinned all your hopes in dumps you one day? What happens the night after a one-night stand where you wake up feeling more empty than you ever have before? Friends, these things of the world, they don't last. They're so temporary, they're so fleeting, they do not last, so they can never provide satisfaction or security in the way that we need in our souls, right? But yet we chase them with all our might and all our energy each and every day, and we've gone so far away from home, so far away that we're completely lost, and we don't even know it. Like lost sheep, we have no idea. Uh, let me tell you, um, for the parents here, uh, who's ever lost their child before? Hands up, oh, some honest, honest feedback. No one? Oh, yes, Uncle Edwin, thank you, having my back. Um, 
Lee Ching and I have actually lost Nathan twice. Please don't judge our parenting, okay? We, we've lost him twice. Let me tell you about the first time that we lost him. Uh, we were down the Gold Coast. So we were down the Gold Coast visiting a friend, and she invited us to go to a Chinese restaurant to come meet her. And there we were, we were running a bit late, rushing around. And we went to this Chinese restaurant on the corner, and we actually found out, oh, it's the wrong one. So we quickly rushed out. We went to one a few doors down. It was the right one. There she was waiting for us. And we're like, oh, hi, auntie. Sorry we're late. And she goes, oh, don't worry, but where's Nathan? And we're pushing the double pram, and Jordan was on top, and Nathan was supposed to be down the bottom. But we look, and Nathan is gone. He's gone. So at this point, we're freaking out. We're, I'm panicking. Where, where did this guy go? So I run out of the restaurant, and I'm just screaming, Nate, 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 where are you? Where are you? Everywhere I go, everyone's looking at me like a crazy man because I was pretty hysterical. So I was just retracing my steps and I go back to the restaurant that we came from thinking, oh, maybe he's there. So I went into the first restaurant that we came in and there's Nathan just standing there. And guess what he's doing? He's not crying. He's not screaming. He's not panicking. He's standing in front of the fish tank and he's just like transfixed, <laughs> just watching the fish just swimming, and he, he had no idea what was going on, right? And here's little Nathan, my son, you know, uh, three years old, uh, no idea of the danger that he was in, no idea how far away from safety he was, yeah? no idea um, how far away from us he was, because he was so transfixed by these beautiful fish swimming in front of him. And friends... That can be like us, can't it? Because we have no idea of the danger that we're in. We have no idea how far we've wandered from home. We have no idea that we're not safe anymore. Because we're so transfixed by the beautiful things of the world swimming in front of us. And that's what we're focusing on. We can't see anything else. Friends, we're lost, but oftentimes we don't even realize it. But the thing is this, and this is what gives us great comfort. Whilst we might not realize we're lost, Jesus does. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were lost. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, Jesus looks at us and he realizes how lost we are. Right? We are lost sheep so far away from home, so transfixed by the things of the world. We're chasing fish. But Jesus sees how lost we are and it moves him to tears because he cares. And he wants to do something about it. Look at what Jesus does. Did you notice what Jesus does? He began teaching them many things. That's the first thing he does. Because when you're lost, when you don't know where to go, you need someone to teach you, to help you. Yeah? And Jesus is saying here, listen to my words and I'll guide you home. He's saying that his words are what will get us home safely because his words are a light for our path, a lamp for our feet. And as we listen to Jesus Christ. He will provide for our biggest needs. He is our shepherd. He will provide for every deep need that we have. 
And the first thing that he really provides, let me talk to you about true satisfaction. Right. Sheep without a shepherd are helpless. Sheep need to depend on their shepherd. And Jesus is saying, depend on me and I'll give you true satisfaction. John 6.35 says this, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Never. Never. What Jesus is saying here is, I will satisfy you in a way that nothing else can, that no earthly thing can, no relationship can. I will satisfy your hunger, your thirst. I'll satisfy your soul forever. You will never go hungry again. You will never be thirsty again. Which frees us. Because we don't need to find satisfaction in earthly things because we have heavenly treasure that lasts forever, that awaits us as people who trust in Jesus Christ. We don't need to find satisfaction in intimacy, in relationships, in affirmation in relationships because Jesus Christ loves us. We have a dignity. We are made in God's image. Right? We have infinite value, more than anything, more than anyone else can give us here, because God himself sees us as valuable. Why do we need to seek it anywhere else? And we don't need to find satisfaction in this life here, which is here one day and gone tomorrow, but we find satisfaction in the fact that we have eternal life, eternal life. The big difference is the things of this world, they, they, they perish and they fade and they're gone. But the things of God, they last forever, which is where dr- deep, true satisfaction comes, doesn't it? Friends, don't trade the joy of heaven for the temporary joys of this world. You will only find satisfaction in Christ. This is what he promises. Come to him. Satisfaction awaits as he provides as your good shepherd. And it's in this promise too that we find our true security. My sheep listen to my voice. This is in John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're seeking security and you're seeking safety in this world, you won't find it anywhere else but Jesus Christ. Um, earlier in the week, my, my brother's house, there was an intruder that tried to get into my brother's house. They caught him on camera. They had the little night vision camera. He was trying to open all the doors, get in. Pretty scary. Uh, it got me thinking about a security system for our place, and Leeching and I were talking about it. But as we were talking about it, and I think we all know this, we were thinking that no security system, no matter how good it is, is a guarantee, right? Like, if they really want to get in, they'll get in, you know? That's how we really view these sorts of things. It's just a deterrent. Right? There's no guarantees here. But in Jesus Christ there is. Because he guarantees that he's your good shepherd who will keep you forever. That no one can take you away from him. Because he is God. No one can overcome him. You will never perish. No one will snatch you out of his hand. Because you're in the hands of God himself. That's where security comes from. It's eternal security. And once again, here's that contrast. Temporary things of this world and the eternal things of heaven. 
Which will you choose? Which will you choose, friends? Jesus, he's the one that gives us true satisfaction. He's the one that gives us true security. And please don't trade that out for the cheap things of this world that just do not last and are here today and gone tomorrow. Please, friends, I urge you to come to the good shepherd who promises to fulfill all your needs. Around that image of the shepherd before, he provides every single need for his sheep. And his sheep are completely dependent on him because without him, they have nothing. Friends, that is us. We need to depend on our good shepherd and he'll provide for our deepest eternal needs. For some of us here, we might be, um, we might be looking at the way home. We, we can... We can see the way home, you know. We're looking at the door of the sheep pen. But we're lost sheep and we still can't figure out how to get back home. Right? We've heard today, there is a way, we can see it. How do we get back home? Well, friends, in one sense it's simple. It's following the shepherd. He will take you there. And he promises satisfaction and security that will never fade Don't trade that out for the cheap things of this world. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that even when we're undeserving, you sent Jesus as the good shepherd who provides for our every need. Thank you that the satisfaction that we have in him, the security that we have in him, far surpasses anything of this world. We pray that we'll never be led away, that we won't be chasing fish, enamored and transfixed by the beautiful things of this world, not realizing that we're so far away from danger. Help us to come home, Father. Help us to come home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to respond to the word with a symbolic meal together now called communion. A time where we remember the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we share this meal together, we should examine ourselves, as 1 Corinthians 11 states, acknowledging the times we have wandered away, the times we have gone so far away from home, and renewing our trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming up on the screen is a confession that we'll say together as a church. We'll say this together, and then I'll pray in response. Together. Most merciful God, we humbly admit that we need your help. We confess that we have wandered from your way. We have done wrong and we have failed to do what is right. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us. Wipe out our sins and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may live as disciples of Christ. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Psalm 103.12 gives this assurance. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God forgives. Amen. Friends, we heard in our message just then that Jesus is the bread of life. The bread of life. That those who come to him will never hunger. They'll never thirst. Because he satisfies eternally. 
But friends, let us remember how that comes about. Through his death on the cross to pay for our sins and his resurrection from the dead to bring new eternal life. Eternal. When we eat food, it goes into us. It becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our bodies. In the same way, when we accept Jesus Christ, we take into ourselves his death and life into our bodies. And that becomes a part of us. That's the reality that is true for us now if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And this is what this meal symbolises. We partake of the bread symbolising Jesus' broken body. We partake of the wine symbolising his blood poured out for sins. And as we do that, remember his death and life taken into your body so that we can have eternal satisfaction and eternal security that never fades. Our friends, we're going to pass the bread around soon, and we're doing something a little bit different with communion this week and in the weeks to come. Uh, when you receive the bread from the ushers, please take the bread straight away, um, and then the cup will be coming around, but please hold the cup, and we'll be taking that together at the end. So take the bread straight away, but hold the cup, and we'll be taking that together at the end. And if you aren't a believer and you're amongst us, it's fantastic to have you here, but please pass, help us by passing along this plate. This is a meal for believers as Jesus Christ has instituted. And let us prepare to eat. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread in his hands. He gave, uh, gave God thanks and broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ashes, thank you.